You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Let's now open our Bibles to the scripture reading for this morning. We're going to read from Ephesians chapter 5. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. For it is light that makes everything visible. This is why it is said, Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Here we come to our text, which are the verses 15 through 21. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing, and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother 
and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Beloved congregation of Lord Jesus Christ, I think it's fair to say that wisdom is not a popular word anymore. If you listen to the radio or watch TV, you'll hear very few people speaking about how good it is to be wise or speaking about wisdom as a virtue. I think it's equally fair to say that foolishness is much more popular, even if it's not called that. Because foolishness is just the way a lot of people act. You see, even the distinction between wisdom and foolishness is pretty much gone. In many ways, we live in a post-Christian time, a time in which Christian concepts such as wisdom and foolishness, they've disappeared from our culture. However, in the church, we still read the Bible. So we still hear about wisdom. In fact, we were just singing a wisdom psalm, Psalm 1. Wisdom is, is mentioned in the Bible over and over again. And in general, from our Bible knowledge, we know that wisdom is a good thing. Wisdom is a virtue. It's something to go after. We know that foolishness is a bad thing, something to avoid. In the church, no one wants to be known as a fool. We want to be wise. What does that mean? What does it mean to be wise? Well, wisdom starts with the fear of God. I've told that more than once in Scripture. That means to be wise, we have to believe in God. We have to respect Him. We also have to listen to what He says in the Bible. To be wise, we have to look to Jesus Christ, who is the wisdom of God with His perfect obedience, with His wise walk of life, He paid for our sins. We are in Him. We have union with the wisdom of God through faith. And so wisdom for us starts with faith. A person may be really smart and know a lot about all sorts of things, but if he does not have the Lord Jesus, he is not wise. And some of the wisest people then have never even graduated from high school. They don't know much about academic things. But they know the Bible and they know Christ. They are in Him. And that makes them wise. Wisdom starts with faith. And when we believe there is a a radical change in our lives, Paul talks about that change a bit earlier in Ephesians 5. In verse 8, He says, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. There you have the the radical change. But change doesn't stop there. God will keep busy with us, constantly changing us over until the day we pass into glory, or until the day the Lord Jesus returns. God keeps working us over. And that's why Paul also says, live as children of light and find out what pleases the Lord. What Paul is getting at here is sanctification. 
the process of being made holy, more and more becoming who we already are in Jesus Christ. It's about thankfulness for what God has done for us in Christ. How are we going to say thank you to Him for all the riches of His glorious grace? One of the ways is to keep going down this path of wisdom. Wisdom starts with faith. It starts with the wisdom of God, who is Christ Himself. But it continues with a life of thankfulness and obedience to the will of God, living in Christ. Our text this morning speaks about wisdom. It tells us to live wisely. To be wise. What does that mean? It means, as is clear from verse 17, that we are to know the will of the Lord. We have to try and understand how He wants us to live our life. So we're talking this morning about the lifestyle of the Christian. Our lifestyle, the way we live our lives, has to be wise. So I preach to you God's Word this morning with the theme, Be Wise. That means know the will of the Lord. And that being wise has results for a careful life, first of all, before each other, or rather, before God, and then second of all, before each other. Now, verse 17 of our text tells us, Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. We take that as a, a further explanation of what we read in verse 15 about taking care to live wisely. The person who does that will make a serious effort to know God's will. But when we say that, we right away run into a question. What does the Holy Spirit mean in this passage when He speaks about God's will? The Lord's will. We have to ask that question because there are at least two different ways that we can talk about God's will. God's will can refer to His decorative or His secret will. God ordains certain things to happen and, and they always come to pass. That's the first sense. But God's will can also mean His preceptive or His commanding will. God commands that certain things be done by people. Do not kill, for example, is God's will for us. So which is it in this passage? Well, I already mentioned that the, the context here is sanctification. If you look in the Heidelberg Catechism, the Ten Commandments are in a section about our thankfulness. It's another way of speaking about sanctification. Thankfulness. So God's will, in a context of sanctification, usually means His preceptive or His commanding will. What God wants us to do, to say thank you to Him. So if we're to be careful in our living before God, we have to find out what God's will is. And where are we going to find that out? I think the answer should be obvious to many of us. We find it out in the Bible. The Bible is where the Holy Spirit speaks to us clearly and gives us everything we need to know so that we can be careful in our living before God. So we can understand the will of God. A wise man is a man of the Word. Verse 16 gives us one way in which we will be careful in our living before God. It says there, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. As you live on this earth, 
You only have a set number of days. God gave you so many days to live, and once those days are up, there's nothing you can do about it. And these days are evil, says the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? It means that the influence and the control of evil is everywhere as we live our lives in this world. God has so ordained it that Satan has a certain amount of power in this present day. And because that is so, we have to make the most of every opportunity. We have to be wise with how we use our time. We have to know the will of the Lord and the management of the time that He gives to us. He says, make the most of every opportunity. And so when God gives you the opportunity to show love and do good to a neighbor, take that opportunity. It may never return to you. When God gives you an open door to speak about the gospel with someone, brothers and sisters, seize the day. You may never see that person again on this earth. In fact, you may be the last person he or she ever talked to. You never know. Now is the time to speak and act. Wise people use time to the fullest possible advantage with the glory of God as their goal. And so our text says a lot about time and the importance of not wasting it. A lot of people waste their time with a bottle in front of them, a little glass idol to go with their idleness. That's why it's important that we also pay attention to what it says in verse 18. There we find a warning for the Ephesian Christians. It says, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Seems straightforward enough. However, to really understand this, we need to explain a little bit more. First off, this appears to have been a temptation, especially for the church at Ephesus. They lived in a city where there were many false gods and there were many pagan temples. And one of the gods was Dionysus. Many people in that time believed that when you were drunk, you became possessed by Dionysus, who was the god of wine. And so drunkenness was often thought to be a religious act, an act of piety. Well, God wants to put this behavior in a new light for the Ephesians. He says, do not get drunk with wine. That's not godliness. That's not piety. It's not an act of religion. It's debauchery. It's wild, uncontrolled corruption. Drunkenness is debauchery. The one who is drunk is out of control. He says and he does whatever comes into his mind, no matter how crazy, no matter how harmful it is. A drunk person is not careful, but careless. It's almost like being possessed. Maybe sometimes it is. It's important that we listen carefully, beloved congregation. I'm sure you know that it's no secret that people in our church community too sometimes drink too much, even habitually. Maybe even become addicted to alcohol or to other substances. Wise people do not get drunk. Drunkenness is foolish. 
Resolve to be sober and self-controlled if you can't handle alcohol. Avoid it with all your strength. Living carefully and wisely means living sober. You know, there's no sin in being a teetotaler. None at all. But there is potential for great sin in even being a so-called social drinker. The antidote is to be filled with the Spirit. Drunkenness belongs to darkness. The Holy Spirit, He lives in the light and He brings believers into the light. Be filled with the Spirit. Notice that this is a command. We are called to do something. It's not optional. Saying, oh, that's nice for some people, but it's not for me. Note that it's also plural. The command is, all of you be filled with the Spirit. So what does this mean? Well, it means the same as what we find in Ephesians 5.8. Live as children of light. And in doing that, we make room for the Holy Spirit to fill us up. All of us, not just a few select people. We walk in step with the Holy Spirit in our lives. So He controls us. He leads us. He guides us in living carefully before God. Be filled with the Spirit. In Colossians, and you know there are a lot of parallels between the book of Ephesians and the book of Colossians. And in, in the parallel passage, if you want to call it that, in Colossians, Paul puts it this way. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. So in Ephesians, he says, be filled with the Spirit. In Colossians, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. And what that teaches us is that Word and Spirit belong together. We are to be filled with the Spirit if we're to take care to live wisely, then we need the Word. The Holy Spirit works with the Word to change our hearts and lives so that we are pleasing to God, so that we have a careful life before Him in all wisdom, making a wise use of our time, living soberly. Before we move on to the second point, let's briefly jump ahead to verse 17. And there we'll see another way in which wisdom will have an, have an impact on our life before God. It says, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's verse 20, actually. It's about thankfulness. One way we are to be filled with the Spirit is to be thankful. And what's the most important part of our thankfulness? Remember the answer of the catechism? It's prayer. So we're always to be praying and giving God thanks for everything. Now obviously, Paul doesn't literally mean everything. Because, let's face it, we don't get down on our knees and thank God for Satan and his work. However, what Paul does mean is that everything good even the mundane, even the little things in life are reasons for thankfulness to God. We offer our thanks in the name of Jesus Christ. This appears to be an allusion to the fact that when we pray, 
We don't come on our own, but we come in the name of the Lord Jesus. So often in our prayers, we end with those those words. We pray for the sake of the Lord Jesus or something like that, for His sake. And so often we do this out of habit. Or or maybe we do it out of routine and perhaps we don't stop and think about what we are saying. And maybe we also pass that on to our children. Do we teach our children what we mean when we say, for Jesus' sake, Amen? What does the word sake mean, anyway? Sake. That's Old English. And we rarely use it outside of a religious context. Take a dictionary with your children or maybe your grandchildren. Look it up together and explain it to your kids so that they know what they are saying when they pray and they say, for Jesus' sake, amen. Prayer and thankfulness go together. God's will is that you pray to Him and say thank you for everything, especially for your Savior. If you know God's will in this respect and do it, you'll be living carefully and wisely. The person who is fervent in prayer will be wise before God. So for to summarize this first point, there are those three things which will result from a careful, wise lifestyle before God. Making the most of every opportunity, living soberly, and living thankfully. Especially spending much time thanking God in prayer. Let's go on to our second point where we'll see the results for a careful life before one another. With this point, we're especially going to be looking at verses 19 and 21. But you shouldn't get the impression that everything else is unimportant for our relationships on a horizontal level. Our life before God should always have an impact on our lives with one another. You think about it. If we make a wise use of our time, we'll be using our time to show love to others. Biblical godliness and piety, they don't grow in the darkness of a hermit's cave. You can't be wise and and cut yourself off from everybody. Now we have to reach out to others. We also have to let others reach out to us. It's striking how often the book of Ephesians uses the words, those three words, to one another or to each other. So that's one way that our life before God will have an impact on our lives with one another. Another way is if we're living soberly, we'll be setting a good example for our kids and our grandchildren. The positive outlook of a thankful person rubs off on others around him or her. When a person is overwhelmed with thankfulness to God for everything good, then he or she speaks about their thankfulness with others. You see, being filled with the Spirit, living with the Word, living with the will of God has implications also for how we speak with one another. And that's clear from verse 19. Let's take a closer look at this verse for a minute. I think many of us will have heard this verse before. It's often used in relation to worship and especially to the worship service. Verse 19 says, Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. 
A lot of people read this and conclude that Paul is telling us to sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs in the worship service. So then we take our book of praise and we have a look through it and we, we find we have our psalms and we have our hymns. We can still use some spiritual songs. We don't have any. Well, that is a way of thinking that we find in a lot of study Bibles and we find in a lot of commentaries. However, let's stop. Take a closer look. First of all, the context. What is the context? We've already seen that the Holy Spirit is talking about the lifestyle of the Ephesian believers. There's no reason to think that Paul has suddenly made a switch to speaking about the worship service in verse 19. Verse 18 speaks about getting drunk. There's no indication that this was taking place in the worship service, nor is there any reason to limit being filled with the Spirit to coming to church, going to worship. Paul is speaking here about the Christian lifestyle. He's not outlining what our worship is to look like or the kinds of songs we're supposed to sing in the worship service. His concern is bigger than that. The Christian lifestyle should see believers encouraging one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Now, in in a broader sense, this has implications for what we, we do here, for what we sing in the worship service. But that is not the primary focus. That's the first thing. The second thing we have to point out is the meaning of the expression psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. As you may know, Paul had his Bible. Paul's Bible was the Old Testament. And it was the Old Testament in Greek, what we call the Septuagint. Now in the book of Psalms, in the Septuagint, we find titles over many of the Psalms, just like we do in the Hebrew and in the English. And what are some of those titles? Psalms, hymns, and songs. So it seems that what Paul is referring to here is the book of Psalms. He is encouraging believers to speak the word of God to one another. Encourage one another with the word. And there again you see the connection between word and spirit. Be filled with the spirit by speaking the word to one another. You may want to later look at at Matthew 26.30 where it says that the Lord Jesus and His disciples sang a hymn and then went to the Mount of Olives. All scholars and commentators agree that this so-called hymn was really a section of the Psalms called the Egyptian Hallel, which are Psalms 112 to Psalm 118. So to use the word hymn to describe the Psalms is more common. Furthermore, the word spiritual in verse 19 of our text, grammatically speaking, could and should be seen as applying to all three terms. So we speak about spiritual psalms, spiritual hymns, and spiritual songs. But it's not my intention to dwell on this point this morning. There's a lot more that could be said about this. Let's get to the heart of the matter. What is the Holy Spirit saying to us. He wants us 
to encourage one another with the singing and speaking of psalms. These songs come from the Spirit of God. That's why they're spiritual. And so He will use them to encourage believers in their being careful to live wisely. The Psalms point us to the wisdom of God Himself, Christ. When we sing the Psalms, we're singing the songs of the Messiah. We sing about His suffering, His life, His death, His resurrection, His eternal reign, His sure victory. These are songs about Christ. That thought always has to be foremost in our minds when we open our book of praise and we sing those songs. We have to constantly be thinking to ourselves, what is this psalm saying to us about Christ? He's the one to whom we have to turn in faith if we want to be wise. So this text is speaking about the psalms. Now obviously we can use other scriptures as well. We're not limited to the book of psalms. But the Psalms are special. There's no denying that. The Psalms were meant for singing. The Psalms are poetry. And we all know the powerful effect of poetry set to music. Poetry expresses emotions and and makes descriptions in a way that simple prose doesn't. Poetry is something special. It speaks to our hearts. And music, well, music was the drug which sedated King Saul in the Old Testament. And music can still have that effect. God has given us music, given us an ability to create music, and He's also given us parts of His Word which are meant to be set to music. By the means of poetry, set to music, we encourage one another. And we instruct one another. Have you ever thought about how many parts of the Psalms are are not addressed to God, but actually to each other? Now at the beginning, uh, before the sermon, we we sang from Psalm 1. I mentioned already that Psalm 1 is, is a wisdom psalm. But it's not really a psalm that is addressed to God. When we sang that psalm, we were addressing one another. First of all, And in a few moments, we're going to sing from Psalm 111. Just consider stanza four. It says there, the wondrous works His hands have done are just and faithful. Everyone can put his trust in God's direction. When we sing that, we're encouraging and we're teaching one another, reminding one another of important spiritual truths, reminding each other to live a careful life before God and before each other. And of course, when we sing the Psalms, we together praise God. Sing and make music in your heart, or better yet, with your heart, to the Lord. So in other words, the Christian who's careful about his life, that he he lives wisely, will be a singing Christian. He sings in the worship service, uses the Psalms with great vigor and zeal, along with other songs based on God's Word. But it doesn't stop there. The Christian singing goes on through the week. Are we a singing people? For instance, do you, do you sing at home with your family? 
that used to be a, a more common Reformed practice. People had their family worship, and there was not only the reading of the Bible, maybe some discussion about what that Bible passage means, maybe some teaching. There was that, and then there was some praying, but there was also singing. Now, thankfully, in some families, it's still that way. But how is it in your home? Do you sing the Psalms? Do you sing other scriptural songs with your family, with your children and your grandchildren? If you don't, perhaps today is the day to start. Singing and making music with your heart is a crucial part of living carefully and wisely before each other, helping and teaching one another the will of the Lord with His Word set to music. Want to be wise? Be singing the Psalms to and with one another. Not only on on Sunday, but on every day of the week, starting with your own home. So brothers and sisters, you see the riches of this passage? You see how concerned God is with us and our weakness? How He's so mindful of that? He knows that we're weak. So He comes to us with His Word in all kinds of different ways. And one of the ways He comes to us with His Word is with poetry set to music. He knows that poetry and music can speak to us in ways that regular prose can't. And in this, we can also thank God. You think about it. God is like that. Doesn't that make you want to sing? How good God is that He helps us to encourage us in our lives before Him and before each other. Now, our lives before each other are sometimes filled with conflict and tension. That's why God in His wisdom has also given us verse 21 of our text, which says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. You know, it's it's really too bad that this text has been abused by some people. Submit to one another requires some explanation. God is not saying here, fathers, submit to your children. He's not saying, husbands, submit to your wives. Or for that matter, employers, submit to your employees. What Paul is saying here is that another way in which believers are to walk wisely before one another, another way they are to be filled with the Holy Spirit is by yielding to one another. This isn't about driving. This is a a general principle for the Christian life. Because we fear and respect Christ, we will yield to one another in love and do everything we can to promote unity and harmony. The Holy Spirit is encouraging us to humility, weakness, I mean meekness, not the same thing, and gentleness with one another. And in that sense, fathers do have to submit to their children. For instance, when they sin against them, and fathers do sin against their children, when they do, fathers have to go to their children, confess their wrong, and humbly ask for their forgiveness. That's part of what Paul is saying here. Paul is not saying that that fathers 
fall under their children's authority and headship, nor that there's some way in which husbands must do that with their wives or employers, with their employees. To be wise, knowing the will of the Lord, being filled with the Spirit, that means that we will always have regard for others, even if they are others who are below us as far as authority goes. To be wise, knowing the will of the Lord, means that we will do everything we can to avoid giving offense to a brother or sister, no matter what their relationship to us might be, whether they are above us or below us. We will yield in everything we can so as to help a brother or sister avoid stumbling. And so wisdom has its results for our lives before each other. We'll be encouraging one another with the singing of psalms, but also yielding to one another in humility. Being wise means knowing, understanding the will of the Lord. By now it should be clear that this knowing or understanding this is not simply a matter of intellectual knowing or cognitive knowledge, if you want to put it technically. Understanding the will of the Lord means that you also do it. There's no dilemma here or anywhere else in the Bible between knowing all the right doctrine and living the right lifestyle. Knowing and understanding means doing and believing. Remember that being wise means starting with faith. But it continues with thankful and loving obedience. It continues with a wise and careful life before God and before one another till the day we're glorified, till the day we're perfected in the presence of our Savior. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.